Hello and welcome to the Truth About Local Government podcast, a podcast aimed at providing a platform to promote the excellent work that the political members and officers of local authorities are doing to overcome the increasing challenges facing the communities across the UK. Additionally, we will be promoting the wider way of career opportunities that exist within local government. We hope this podcast will help drive engagement between the public and local authorities across the UK. Good morning and welcome to The Truth About Local Government. I'm really excited today. We're going to be talking about development. We're going to be talking about partnerships. We're going to be talking about how the public and private sector can work together to unlock the potential of land and of regions. And to do so, we've got a really, really informed and exciting guest, um, Mr. James Lazarus. James, thank you so much for coming on. How are you? Uh, hello, Matt. Good morning. Um, yeah, very well. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be having this discussion with you. Amazing. Well, guys, everyone listening at home, let me give you a bit of a background to James. So, you know, he spent in the first part of his career, 15 years working uh, for English and Overseas Properties PLC. He's worked for Quintain, Towergate, and probably what I can consider to be kind of the a really significant part in his career was when he worked as for the Canal River Trust as head of joint ventures, property development and director of JV companies and partnerships. Most recently, he's taken uh, the step into becoming um, a really, really, um, uh, a really great asset to the, the local government space and has been working for British City Council as an interim regeneration manager on their Temple Quarter project. But James, you know, if you give us a bit of background as to what when you talk about partnership and leverage, what does that mean? So what that means, Matt, is basically um, a council, typically a council, not necessarily a council, but uh, it could be a, a landowner and there are other examples as well as councils, um, basically using their asset, typically land, and using that as a means to bringing in additional expertise and resource. And that's done through structuring some form of partnership. And that extra resource typically is financial resource, human resource, and overall sort of expertise. Um, I, I've worked on this basis for most of my career, even when I was in the private sector, um, English and overseas, you just mentioned, we were a relatively small company, uh, but we punched above our weight because we tended to do most of our developments in joint venture. And what it enabled us to do was basically spread ourselves wider. Um, so we were involved in more schemes, albeit with partners, than we'd have been able to do on our own. And certainly when I went to Canal and River Trust, Canal and River Trust have, have, have followed this model very successfully. They have uh, two very specific joint ventures which um, with the private sector, which are there to actually deliver developments. And as I say, what it does, it, it gives them the opportunity to uh, become involved in, in the value uplift resulting from development. But more importantly, it gives them a seat at the table when it comes to design. And certainly in Canal and River Trust's uh, case, uh, very often they were looking uh, for more out of development than simply financial return. So they were looking for what I, I call, why I've always called them the intangibles. So um, that might, in, for argument's sake, involve improved public realm or something like that, uh, or improvements to the canal infrastructure. Um, and by having a seat around the table at the sort of development stage, it enables um, the landowner to have that additional input. Now, with the council, obviously, you know, you could argue that uh, it's the planning authority, but relatively speaking, planning powers 
uh, cannot deliver some of those additional benefits. It's really interesting as well, like in terms of, you know, when you're first looking at uh, of what you want to achieve, say, for example, a council has an area of underdeveloped land. The council has to be the one to to really uh, and sometimes create the opportunity because of the fact that if, if there's not that um, uh, there's not that input from that local government initially, maybe own the land and the private sector won't won't be, you know, it's not viable. It's not feasible. How difficult is it to find a suitable development partner for a public sector organisation? Well, I think there are lots of examples of, of very successful partnerships. I've just mentioned a, a couple in my career, but I mean, if you if you look for argument's sake, Network Rail uh, are very successful in their sort of partnering, development partnering. So they have certainly their two joint ventures that they have that I'm aware of. They have Solum, which is a joint venture with Kia, and that's delivering projects typically in and around stations. Um, and they also have um, a, a, a joint venture called Blockwork with a private developer called Block which tends to deal with smaller developments. And then on a larger scale, you've got landowners such as National Grid, who have teamed up with one of the large national house builders as well. So um, I think it, 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 it's a very sort of proven formula. I think as far as local authorities are concerned, when it comes to disposing of land, it's always quite a difficult and complicated process. Um, there are issues around section one, two, three, there are sections around procurement and, and the sort of issues that the Faraday case um, uh, brought up. So um, the, 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 the work involved in, in selling an individual site, uh, a local authority selling an individual site, is, is considerable. So, um, you know, if it can structure, certainly if it's got a number of sites to sell, it can structure a joint venture. Certainly the hurdles in terms of setting up that joint venture might be, be greater. Uh, but it, but spread across a number of sites, it probably don't, might not involve quite so much work. And it also gives the local authority, as I say, a seat at the table over and above its planning powers. So that might, again, for the, from the council's point of view, uh, involve delivering additional and better quality public realm. And perhaps moving on from that also, um, it, it can determine how that public realm is looked after. I think it's fair to say that um, in these times when council budgets are constrained, uh, if councils are responsible for managing uh, public realm, it's probably one of the easiest things to be cut. And very often these public places are very much the sort of shop window of those local authorities. So um, if, if looking after that space, managing that space is in the hands of the private sector, uh, that is something you know, standards can be maintained through you know, delivery arrangements and contractual arrangements. For the listeners at home, you know, councils, your local council, there will be areas where they need development. And it is so tricky because there is uh, there is limited funding. But it's not just about the money. It's not just about creating the best value. Of course, it's a factor. But it's working with development partner that allows you to achieve what you want for that area, not just in terms of physical generation, but in terms of jobs creation, in terms of the values, in terms of the contribution towards the local uh, economy, in terms of... Uh, um, and again, I'm going to get the correction. The 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 uh, the set is it section 106? Um, yes. But where yes. yeah, where you know a, a developer will give a, a an amount of money towards library, schools, infrastructure, uh, in line with the development uh, value. In your opinion, James, I mean yourself personally, and you're very modest, but you know you've managed in excess when you can have over trust 50 million pounds uh, worth of large complex schemes, and your returns were you know, in 17 to 18, 15.5%, which outperformed the market quite considerably. 
if you were to say that the things that you have, have worked for yourself to make a success of these joint ventures you know what would you say to to those councils that are listening that you know want to really realize the potential or maybe potentially looking for a development partner what what's the advice you give them i, th I think it's very important that that um you you have a good the, the relationship between uh the the parties in any partnership is really really important and um it, it sounds somewhat flippant actually but um i always rather and, and it, I, I i refer to the curry test and what that means is very simply if you were working with this particular partner would you be happy to go out for a drink or a meal with them after work in the evening are they the sort of people you'd like to spend time with uh, and then i really think um is very very important you've got to get on with people uh, and the people involved and very importantly um it, it you need to ensure that you have a, a sort of common vision and a common aim i think that's very very important as well and sometimes there can be a bit of friction between the public sector, which is probably almost entirely focused on, on financial outputs, and perhaps a local authority or an organisation like the National Trust or, 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 or Canal and River Trust, where, where they're looking for wider outputs from development other than just the financial outputs. But relationships, so are, so relationships are very, very important. And I mean, the power of relationships and, and kind of, I mean, I think particularly in a post-COVID workplace, have you seen that the the dynamic of that relationship in terms of developing that relationship has changed? Or do you think there's just as much on-site presence required post-COVID within regeneration development? I, th I think, I, I mean, it, it was clearly very difficult during COVID. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And, um, uh, you know, we're, we're all far more used to using Teams and Skype and, and, and media like that. But I think there is actually no substitute uh, for sitting with somebody on a face-to-face -face basis. Um, Teams is great. Um, you know, there, there, there are all sorts of meetings you can have on Teams that you might not have had in the past, which might have happened by way of a phone call. Uh, but at the end of the day, there is, in my mind, and perhaps I'm old-fashioned, I don't know, but uh, I'm traditionalist, but uh, I, I do like face-to-face -face contact. I like to see the whites of somebody's eyes. I think I completely agree with you. I mean, I, I absolutely love it as well. And I think as well, it's, I think particularly when you've got um politicians we've got a lot of um, hung councils at the moment whereby there's no overall majority and you're having to get lots of different stakeholders all with the competing agendas together in a room and really buy into it those interpersonal you know face-to-face -face interactions are absolutely critical going back to your experience james what's the what's the proudest or are there any schemes that stands out to you that you were really proud of that you were involved with that you delivered yes i think one of one of probably one of the most complicated ones I did was when I was at Canal and River Trust, where in partnership with Birmingham City Council, um, we actually procured um, or, or set up a partnership with Urban Splash and Places for People uh, to deliver the Port Loop regeneration scheme in the centre of Birmingham, just on the outskirts of Birmingham. Sorry, That's sorry. Urban Splash calling now, asking to be on the podcast <laughs> as well. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so that is in the process of delivering 1,200 homes, uh, canal side homes, just on the edge of Birmingham city centre. That's fascinating. And so uh, in terms of actually that, that process of starting that off, how long did that take to deliver? A long time. Um, I mean, initially it started out, well, started off as a sort of a, a, an arrangement, an agreement between two landowners, i.e. the City Council and Canal and River Trust. Uh, and then that was formalised into a corporate vehicle when the, uh, the, the two 
um, private sector partners uh, came on board as well. And once that was set up, um, actually managing that was, uh, I chaired that for two years, and it was um, it was it was quite a challenge actually because you had um, four, four stakeholders, all of whom had had sort of slightly different requirements. Um, so so there was it was a bit of a juggling act, but importantly, the individuals all got on very well, uh, and and you know we we managed it very well. So. Um, obviously, the um, uh, the prime objective of the private sector was was all about making money. Uh, as far as Birmingham City Council was concerned, it was all about delivering homes, homes, and more homes. And um, Canal and River Trust had obviously the financial objectives were important, as it would have been for Birmingham City Council. Uh, but ensuring you know ensuring their um, 250 year old canal infrastructure wasn't in any way impacted and impeded, and that um, you know, it could remain an attractive destination for visitors to the network. So, so that a lot of sort of competing uh, fr friction. I, I, friction is probably too strong a word, uh, but again, it, it was possible to manage this. Having had such a successful career, you know, in both the private sector, kind of quasi-public with Canal River Trust, you know, what drew you to working for local government, James? Um, well, I think I've, I've, I've got sort of experience across all three sectors. So the charitable sector, the public sector and the private sector. And um, I've really enjoyed my, my, my time working in the public sector in, in that, um, in, in particular, this latest role I, I, I've had at, at Bristol. Um, it's been great to be involved in the project and, and, and bring and, and hopefully add a bit of my expertise to the overall process. Um, and I think in a lot of instances, um, Local authorities, they have some brilliant people working working for them. But there are obviously expertise gaps, and I'd like to think that's a, a, a gap I could fill. Definitely. I've always been struck by your integrity and the the aspiration to always add true value to, to an employer, um, to go in and to to help move a project along that potentially has got stoked, because there are skill gaps. And I think, you know, there's nothing... It doesn't it doesn't show weakness to admit that there are skill gaps in the local government of course there are there are skill gaps in every organization but i think it's just fantastic that you know you can go in there and uh, and you've been able to support in, in that way and, and obviously you and i were working together to to kind of get you your next piece of of work my last question james around this really is around why local government is important i ask everybody this um why is local government important well, I think local government basically touches every single one of us uh, in everything we do every every day. Uh, you know, local government educates our children, empties our bins, looks after our roads. Um, every aspect of our life, um, our day to day life, um, you know, is touched by by local authorities. Uh, so, yes, you know, they are incredibly important and they have a huge role to play. Absolutely. And I think it's just so fitting the fact that somebody with your experience, James, has enjoyed working so much with local government because it shows you there is some really interesting work there. And I just I get so frustrated when people are like, oh, you know, there's almost this stigma around local government. The variety of work that councils have is absolutely exceptional. And I think for a lot of people, maybe who are in the private sector who, you know, have had a, you know, a, a fantastic career like yourself. There is so much value that you can bring to that organisation, just sometimes to look at things slightly differently um, and to bring that experience that you've had. But um, no, absolutely. Um, absolutely. And for anyone listening, that um, this obviously will be going out to our regeneration network. But anybody that's interested in, in having a conversation with James about his experience and potentially where he could add value, you can obviously reach out to me directly or to James. But James, I really appreciate you coming on today and talking about 
um, partnership and how to make that succeed uh, with local government. And um, I wish you uh, all the best in your future assignments. That's great, Matt. Thank you very much indeed. Thoroughly enjoyed it. You've been listening to the Truth About Local Government podcast, a free enterprise set up to establish and uh, promote a positive message about local government throughout the UK. You've been listening to myself and James Lazarus, a regeneration consultant now working with local government after uh, a very successful career in the private sector and working with charities. If you've enjoyed the podcast, give it a like, give it a share, and please dial back in for episodes coming up this week. Bye for now. You have been listening to the Truth About Local Government podcast. Remember, your local council does some amazing work, but you can help. So remember to vote and be engaged with the work they're doing. If you like this podcast, please like, share and give a five-star review. If you would like to feature on the podcast, have any shout-out of excellent work being done by a local authority or have any topics you would like covered, please email me at truth about local government at gmail.com truth about local government local government is at the heart of what we do